I will speak to you in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Good morning. This week, I believe we can all fully agree that summer has arrived. Considering this is Florida, it may seem that June the 13th is a little late to be recognizing the arrival of summer. Here in our part of the world, summer is usually in full bloom by early to mid-May. But this year, I think all of you would agree with me, we actually have had some cooler spring weather that lasted all the way to the end of last month. It's only been these last few weeks, especially with the arrival of our regular afternoon thunderstorms that we've started seeing this past week that the full heat and humidity of summer has finally landed. And with it, of course, comes the full growth and the greening of our landscape. I have to say, over 10 years ago, when I first came to Jacksonville, it took me a while to adjust to exactly what native plants really carry the color green each summer down here. Up in Kentucky and in the rest of the Upper South, green tends to be the color of grasses. That is, if it isn't God's most beautiful of blue hues that is planted within the most wondrous grass of all, Kentucky bluegrass. But down here, the native green color in our drier, more arid, sandy topsoil tends to naturally come from, shall I say, more weedy plants, from grass. This all brings back memories to me of when I first moved into Ortega on the other side of the river and was spending my first year in a home that was owned at that time but was up for sale by Father Kurt Dunkel. Some of you may remember Father Kurt. He was canon to the ordinary for a while before he became the rector of Grace Episcopal Church in Orange Park. And by the time I was living in the house, he just moved up to New York City to become the dean of General Seminary, where both Kurt and I received our training and education for the priesthood. When I had moved down from Kentucky, I, of course, brought down with me my well-worn lawnmower to be ready to cut the grass when we finally found a house to live in. At Father Kurt's place, it just seemed natural for me to break out the good old lawnmower and cut his small yard in Ortega myself while I was living there. So that's what I did. But probably around the second time I was out mowing the front yard, Kurt stopped by suddenly to check on me, and he immediately stopped me in mid-mow. I could tell by the look on his face that he was more than a little bit frustrated at me, which was odd for me because I thought, hey, I'm doing something to help take care of the house, and I thought he'd like that. But when he walked over to me, he said, man, you've got to raise up your cutter. This is St. Augustine grass, and if you cut it too close, you'll kill it. Well, that was totally new information for me. In Kentucky, in the middle of the summer, you always cut the grass of your lawn as short as you can, simply because if you give it another week, it's going to be just as thick as it was before and growing up towards your knees. But St. Augustine grass, I would soon learn, is not really a native grass at all here in our part of Florida. It's something folks brought in to help create that plush lawns that we Americans tend to love in front of our homes and in front of our businesses. But 
To really thrive in Florida, St. Augustine grass needs a good amount of serious irrigation, and it certainly deserves an experienced lawn care team who know not to cut the grass too low. So, as Father Kurt directed me that day, I did indeed raise up the cutter on my mower as high as I could raise it. And then about halfway through the summer, when the temperature started to crawl into the high 90s that we've gotten ever so close to this week, I did what most folks do around here who can afford it. I found someone else to cut the St. Augustine grass and to keep it in its good, proper shape. This morning, Jesus isn't really talking about something as fancy or as imported for beauty as our St. Augustine grass, nor is Jesus really talking about a plant as fine as Kentucky bluegrass. Jesus instead is talking this morning about tiny mustard seeds again, that when dropped on the soil can grow quickly into a tall, beneficial shrub. The mustard shrub Jesus is describing certainly can't grow as tall as that great and noble cedar tree like we heard read this morning in the prophet Ezekiel. But it can grow fast enough and high enough to provide important shade and safety for the birds of the community as well as fruit and leaves for animals and seeds that can quickly be spread to grow more mustard plants. To use this particular variety of herbal vegetation, Jesus is going after something that would have certainly been known and recognized by the people that were around him, but also would have been unexpected. And that, of course, is how a parable is meant to work. It is meant to catch you just a little off guard, to get you thinking and engage your mind, and then to hopefully have the potential to enter deeper into your heart. A mustard plant, something Jesus refers to in Mark's gospel as the greatest of shrubs, carries with its description just that kind of unexpected surprise. Of course, in the parable from St. Mark's Gospel this morning, Jesus isn't really focusing on shrubs and plants and seeds at all. Jesus is trying instead to capture our attention on the kingdom of God, that intended creation God began for us in the beginning and which God intends to restore to its fullness. And Jesus is doing this by moving away from the nobility of the majestic cedar trees of Lebanon for God's kingdom to something that is more down on the ground level for everyone and for the most common and regular of people who are listening and being chosen to follow him. Jesus knew that everyone around him would understand the tiny mustard seed. And Jesus knew that people who ecked out their agrarian living would know the speed with which that mustard seed could take root, how it could spread out and grow just tall enough to not draw the attention of taller trees, but still offer something meaningful and needful for everything that came under its branches. Jesus also knew that the people of ancient Palestine would more importantly know the adaptability and the versatility of that mustard seed, something that could grow easily not just in the dry deserts of the Middle East, but upwards into Persia and Syria and Turkey and westward and across to Arabia and Egypt and further into Africa. These are the images of the revealed kingdom of God Jesus is announcing and building up in his parable of the mustard seed. A kingdom that is beginning in that moment in the tiny rural landscape of the Galilee, but will soon spread quickly in every direction 
providing just the right shade and more importantly, the right salvation for anyone who will gather under the vast expanses of its bows and branches. Yes, Jesus could have gone with something greater, something more beautiful, something more purposeful and plentiful in where he was preaching. Every theologian in the church who's ever taken enough time to read the reports of botanists and biologists who've studied the agriculture of the ancient Middle East know a whole host of other plants and trees and flowers and weeds that were more prevalent and more identifiable than a tiny mustard seed or the shrub that that seed produces. But again, Jesus wanted to make the people listening wonder why he had mentioned it. He wanted to make them scratch their heads and dig deeper into the meaning of his message so that the message itself might have the ability to take root and grow. Maybe Jesus also wanted the Jewish authorities, the scribes and the Pharisees listening as well to be drawn back to that very reading from Ezekiel we heard first this morning. For God says through one of his greatest of prophets, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it in order that it may produce bows and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. If Jesus recalled Ezekiel's prophecy to those Jewish rabbis standing there on the periphery listening to his parable, then they too would have been completely thrown off course when Jesus made the kingdom of God not like a cedar tree, but like a mustard shrub. But in doing so, Jesus would have then transplanted that image of the mustard shrub into their minds as the new image of the coming fulfillment of Israel. For Ezekiel finishes the prophecy this morning by proclaiming God's announcement that all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree. I make the high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, I will accomplish it. If we ourselves this morning can combine all of this again into this wonderful parable, we too can begin to see fully and clearly Jesus' great revelation. For it is God's plan to raise up a Savior, not from a high lofty mountain, but from the shrubbery of the Judean hill country to spread the message of the Savior near and far, to offer hope and salvation, not just for Israel, but everywhere those seeds can be planted and made to grow. This was and is and will always be the great gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through the Holy Spirit and now on earth through his body, the church, is continuing to spread out God's kingdom in all of God's creation to anyone who will receive it and water it and believe it to make it grow. I like to think about our church here, All Saints. We are not at all as large and as noble as the mighty St. John's Cathedral downtown. Of course, we're also not nearly as small as a wonderful mission church like St. Mark's in Palatka or St. Mary's Church in Madison, Florida. But we are here amidst our own great live oaks from Hendricks Avenue, and we are sowing the seeds of the gospel 
to all who come in contact with us. And we are offering a place of rest and a gospel message of good news to anyone who comes under our branches and enters into our church doors. And we are working together to reach out beyond this place to offer the message of Christ to those in need in our community, in our city, and in our world. We, the church, are doing that alongside Christian churches that have spread out everywhere. We, the church, are those great shrubs of the tiny mustard seeds that are still growing all over the world, regardless of where you are or what language you speak or what political party is running your country in the moment. The kingdom of God is always present in the church and is still spreading the gospel to anyone who needs a place of rest and a place of shade in what is an arid and a desert world today. Thanks be to God. We are more like shrubs that grow from tiny mustard seeds in the heat of the dry land. And we are not like St. Augustine grass that is fickle and testy if it gets cut too low and that needs more water than we can really naturally provide for it for most of the year. God is the one who provides for the church and the church continues to grow. And it does not matter how small you feel, or how less like a cedar you may think you are. You too are a mustard seed meant to grow the good news of Jesus. As the psalmist declares, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be green and succulent that they may show how upright the Lord is, my rock in whom there is no fault. Thanks be to God.